0: The Church, in her wisdom, sets out weekly readings from the Gospels. These readings allow us to follow the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and the story of our salvation. Upper Room Media presents to you the weekly Sunday homily delivered from Sydney, Australia. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. As we are celebrating the Holy Fifty Days, we continue to contemplate on the new life that we live in Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. And throughout the weeks of the Holy 50 days, we contemplate on the bread of life, on the water that springs forth into everlasting life. We contemplate on the light, Christ saying, I am the light of the world. And today we hear the famous saying of our Lord Jesus Christ, I am the way. The truth and the life." There was a very nice, I was, as I was reading, um, I came across a very nice meditation on these things, the way, the truth, and the life by Saint Cyril when he's contemplating on this passage. He says, there are three, he's speaking about the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, there are three means by which we will reach the Divine Courts and ascend to the Church of the Firstborn. I am talking about the practice of every kind of virtue, that is the way. The practice of every kind of virtue. Faith in the Orthodox doctrine, that is the truth. Faith in the Orthodox doctrine and hope in life, that is the life. The way in the pursuit of virtue, the truth according to the upright faith, and the life with hope in everlasting life. Then he says, does that mean that there will be some other bestower or patron or cause or reason that will enable us to accomplish these things beside our Lord Jesus Christ? Certainly not, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. God willing, we want to contemplate a little bit on those three things. What is the way for us day-to-day life? And what do we need in order to continue in that way? Where do we understand the truth? How do we understand the truth? And what does it mean to have hope in life? In today's um, Pauline epistle, St. Paul, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God." There was no way to enter into life. The way was blocked. It wasn't blocked from God's side. It was blocked from our side because we had fallen and chosen death over life. But our Lord Jesus Christ came to pave the way and more so not just pave a way, as Saint Paul puts it, but to be Himself the way on which we walk in Him. We travel through this life in order to enter, as St. Cyril calls it, the heavenly courts and the household of God. What do I need in order to walk in this way? In order to pursue virtue? What does it mean to pursue virtue? It to means to become like Christ. This is the original calling. If you think about it in Genesis, what our Lord Jesus Christ said, I was, I was talking to, uh, to somebody uh, and... Uh, and I was, I was surprised to hear that this person understood that the, the work that God gave Adam and Eve to do, tending the garden, was somehow a punishment. Actually, the work that God gave Adam and Eve to do was before the fall. He said, um, have dominion over the earth, fill the, dew, fill, uh, um, fill the earth and subdue it, right? And um, bear fruit. And who was doing this before Adam and Eve? Who was keeping the garden before Adam and Eve? God Himself. God Himself is the one that was keeping the garden. And then He takes, creates Adam, and He tells him, you do what I do. You be like me. You tend the garden. And when you tend the garden, you're gonna produce fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit is virtue. To be in the likeness of God. That's what it means, to be like Him. And so, He created us to become like Him. And what does it mean to be like Him? It means to have His characteristics, to have His virtues, to have His life in us. So that, as Saint Paul says, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So that when when our Lord says in the Sermon on the mountains that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What does it mean? Because when they see your good works, when they see your life of virtue, when they see your life of holiness, when you see your love and your chastity and your purity and your honestness, honesty and your gentleness and your meekness, when they see that, they see Christ in the flesh. And we become Christ in the flesh. We become Christian. How can I pursue this way, this narrow way as our Lord Jesus Christ calls it? We need three, there are three virtues, that we should strive to acquire, if we want to walk in this way. The first virtue is called temperance. Temperance. What is temperance? Temperance is self-control. If I want to be serious, St. Peter today in the epistle says, Be serious, therefore be serious in your prayers. Be serious in this way. If I want to be serious in anything in my life, I have to have self-control. If there's any goal in my life, any way that I'm going to trod, any path that I'm going to follow, that I hope that it leads to something better, I have to have self-control. I have to prevent myself from going to the side. You know when, the, when there's a horse, when, the, when they want to have a horse walk on a carriage and you want him to follow the way, what do they put beside his eyes? They put these little shades, so that he doesn't look to the right or to the left. Because as soon as he do that, he gets preoccupied with other things. So he goes right and left. He gets off the way. So they put this so that he knows where to go. This is the same in our spiritual life. St. Gregory puts it in a beautiful way. He says, St. Gregory of Nyssa, he says, Just as water, sealed with a hermetic conduit. So imagine if you have a puddle of water on the floor. Where does it go? It goes everywhere. But what if, you're able to put around it a conduit a surrounding a boundary, and you start closing in on that puddle. What's going to happen? Where is the water going to go? Up, right? This is what St. Gregory says, just as water sealed with a hermetic conduit is often pushed upwards vertically by the pressure for lack of space for expansion. And this, despite its natural movement that pushes downward, so to the human intellect, strictly channeled from all directions by self-control, will be as though lifted up to the desire for superior goods by its natural tendency to move, lacking any exit or place of diversion. For the being in constant movement, having received such a nature from his creator, we move, can never be stabilized. And if it is prevented from employing its movement in the direction of vain things, it has no other recourse but to go straight to reality upward is reality, which is going to lead us to the next point. Self-control is the first thing. If I want to walk in the way, I need to acquire self-control. How can I acquire self-control? Saint Paul says, I discipline my body and I put it under subjection. The church gives us the ingredients for self-control. The church gives us the recipe for self-control. Fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. When I fast, I control the lust of the belly. When I pray, I control the lust of the flesh, the desire to sleep, the desire to be lazy. When I give, I control the love of money. And so when I put these boundaries around me and I force myself to give, I force myself to stand and pray, I force myself to fast according to the prescribed times of the church, then I start to acquire the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is self-control. One more thing we'll say about self-control. Saint Clement of Alexandria says it, self-control is only virtuous to the extent that it is inspired by the love of God. We have to be careful. This is like a warning when it comes to self-control. Sometimes our self-control is inspired by other things. Maybe, maybe I'm gonna acquire self-control because I want to change my my one-pack into a six-pack. So I'm going to acquire self-control. Maybe I'm going to acquire self-control because I want to save up money because I want to buy something really nice. So I'm going to force myself not to go out to restaurants. I'm going to force myself to save and to to, to hold on a little bit to my pocket so that I can buy good stuff for myself. That's not the self-control we're talking about. That's self-centered self-control. Saint Clement tells us self-control is only virtuous to the extent that it's inspired, driven, motivated by the love of God, for the desire to move up to reality towards Him. So, the first virtue on the way is temperance or self control. What is the second? The second virtue that I should strive to acquire. And actually, all of us, I will say this, all of us have this virtue but sometimes it's in the shape of a vice. What is this virtue? This virtue is called courage. This virtue is also called anger or holy zeal. The the driving force. So if self-control paves the way and anger or, or courage is the fuel which will make me walk on the way. What does that mean? David the prophet tells us in a beautiful way. He says, be angry and do not sin. Or he also says in another place, he says, on sin, I have hated it with a perfect hatred. Look what um, St. John Chrysostom says about anger. He says, anger is a useful instrument for rousing our soul from excessive sloth. The problem is we've, we're all kind of in this fallen condition oftentimes, and we utilize the faculty of anger for the purpose of self-satisfaction, for the purpose of acquiring what I want, for the purpose of preventing anybody else from taking the, the desires and the lusts of my flesh. That's not the purpose of anger. That's what anger looks like in a fallen human being. But anger, what it looks like, what it looks like in a, in a risen human being is David, the Prophet, when he goes and he sees the children of Israel being oppressed for 40 days and in fear, and then he goes and he says, I will go and fight this, this uncircumcised Philist- Philistine who thinks he can uh, curse the hosts of the people of Israel. That's holy anger. Holy anger is to destroy with power, with violence. Our Lord Jesus Christ uses the word vi- violence. is not a sin, by the way. Violence is a sin when it's used in the wrong way, when it's used to hurt people, when it's used to hurt others, when it's used to hurt others in order to acquire my own b- desires and pleasures. But our Lord Jesus Christ says, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? Where is my violence to be directed? Violence is to be directed against demons, against sin, against the lusts of my own flesh and against my own pleasures. That's the violence that St. Paul speaks of when he says, I discipline my body and I put it under subjection. Sometimes this might appear as, I'm not talking about you know cutting yourself or hurting yourself with violence. I'm talking about fighting against the desires of the flesh. St. Paul says in his letter to Hebrews, he says, you have not yet struggled against sin to bloodshed. That's that's the the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It doesn't mean uh, go and uh, Saint Saint Peter understood it wrong, right? Saint Peter said, "Oh, I have a sword." <laughs> he says it's enough. That's not what I'm talking about. Just leave it. This is we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're not my kingdom. Is if I if I wanted to have a whole host of uh, legions, seventy legions, or. Uh, Twelve legions of heavenly hosts to fight for me. I would have done that, but that's not what I'm here. What I'm talking about. Violence. Saint Basil I'll end violence with or, or anger with this. Saint Basil says something beautiful. Says just as a soldier, just as a soldier who is obedient to the orders of his captain is always ready to run to the aid of those in need. So too anger can help reason, can help my mind in fighting, in fighting sin. Indignation serves as a motivation for the soul. When you fall in sin, oftentimes when I fall in sin, I feel down, I feel guilty, I feel shame, I feel embarrassed, I feel demotivated, I feel despondent, I feel lazy, I don't wanna get up, I don't want to. anger and courage is the fuel that is gonna push me to get up and to fight, not to fight against people. To fight against sin. To fight against the demons that have caused me to sin. There's a psalm, sometimes we misunderstand the psalm in the, uh, we say it in the twelfth hour. Um, the, the psalm, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, we remember Zion, we hung our harps upon the For there those who carry us great Capricorn. Blessed are you. Uh, he says, uh, against the sons of Edom, who said, tear it down, against Edom. Edom is a symbol of the kingdom of Satan. Who said, tear it down, tear it down to its very foundation. Blessed are you who will dash your enemies by the rock. Of course, the rock is Christ. The enemies are the demons. When I use anger against sin, I am dashing the enemies of God, the demons, and my sin against the rock, which is Christ. Okay? Okay? So the first thing on the way, the first faculty or the first virtue that I want to acquire on the way is self-control, to drive, to to pave that path. The second virtue or faculty is courage or anger. The third one is called prudence or discernment. Knowing what what is the will of God in any given situation in any given time, in any given place, and knowing how to fulfill that will of God. Knowing what God wants, when He wants it, and how He wants it. That's discernment. That's the greatest of all virtues that we can acquire. And discernment can only be acquired, we said this before, through humility. Discernment can only be acquired through humility, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And humility can only be acquired through obedience. And obedience can only be acquired through the fear of God. That's the cycle. I have the fear of God, I acquire the fear of God. I will become begin to be obedient to God and to all of those whom God put in my direction, in my supervision. To obey my parents, to obey my husband, to submit to the church, to obey my wife. Submit to one another, by the way, the verse before that, submit to one another, right? Submission is the gateway to humility, and humility is the pathway to discernment. So when I have self-control, and when I have courage, and when I have discernment, I can walk on the way, which is Christ. I am the way. What's the next one? The truth. All of this is good. But if I don't have the truth, then I'm gonna fall in a pit. I'm gonna go somewhere. (laughs) I can have self-control, and I can have anger, maybe not discernment, and I'll go on a way. But that way, as our Lord Jesus Christ said, might be a nice wide pathway, which leads to destruction. What do I need? I need the truth. I need the truth. Where do I get the truth? Where does the, the truth? is of course, Christ Himself. Saint Athanasius says it in a very beautiful way. He says, the faith, right, which is the truth, the faith which was taught by Christ, preached by the apostles, preserved by the church. Taught by Christ, preached by the apostles, preserved by the church. Where do we get truth? Where do we know the truth? Very quickly, There's five, five sources in the tradition, in the church, from which we acquire the knowledge of the truth. By the way, this is the truth which St. Peter speaks about. He says, to those, to the church, to those who have obtained like and precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the faith, St. Jude calls it, the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. This is the truth. Where do we get this truth? The tradition of the church. What is the tradition of the church? We can summarize it in five things. And I won't go into every one, but I'm just going to say them. The first one is the scripture, the Holy Bible. Where did we get the scripture from? From the church. Okay, which came first, the church or the scripture? The church. The church is the one who told us this is the scripture. The church is the one who wrote the scripture. The church is the one who told us these books are not scripture, but these books are scripture. Okay? So the first source is the Holy Scripture, the Old and the New Testament. The second source is the prayers. The prayers, the liturgies of the church. The church prayers are the most beautiful expression of the faith of the church. If I want to understand what is baptism, where's the best way to understand what is baptism? Open, open Coptic Reader <laughs> and go into the prayers of baptism and read the prayers of baptism. You're gonna learn what is baptism, you're gonna learn where is baptism in the Bible, you're gonna learn what do I get in baptism, you're gonna learn what does it make us, and you're gonna learn how it was done and how we do it, baptism. If I want to understand a little bit more about the Eucharist, Attend the liturgy. You're going to understand why God gave us His body and His blood, and the whole story of salvation. If if I want to understand scripture, I can understand it through the liturgy. The liturgy is filled with scripture, sometimes paraphrased, sometimes put in different way, but digested so that I can understand the context and the meaning of it. So the first source of truth is? Scripture. The second source of truth is? the liturgies, the church prayers. Not my own personal prayers, not a prayer I find on Google, the liturgical prayers of the church. That's why the church is very careful of what hymns to sing in the church. We don't just sing any hymns. If I find a nice song, I don't just sing it in the church. No, because everything that we say is there. There's a beautiful saying that says, we pray what we believe and we believe what we pray. We pray what we believe and we believe what we pray. So we're very careful what we say and what we don't say in the church, because that's teaching. What's the third thing? The writings of the church fathers and church mothers. We have church fathers in church. We have church mothers in the church. And if you don't know any church mothers, come to me after. I'll direct you to some church mothers that have beautiful sayings in the church. Their writings and their lives. Their writings and their lives. We look to their lives. We look to the lives of the saints. And we look to their writings that they left for us that were accepted by the church. And that's a source of teaching. What's the fourth source of teaching? The councils. Of the church, the church councils. Whenever there was a problem in the church, the church met together the bishops from all different parts of the world and they discussed and they spoke and they expressed for us the faith. That's why where did the the creed that we say right after the sermon, we're gonna say the creed. Where is that? Where do we find the creed? In the council of Nicaea, in the church councils and the rest of it in the council of Constantinople. The faith is expressed in the councils. And the last but not least, the last thing is the arts of the church. The iconography, the hymnography, and the architecture. When we come to build a church, even when we come to put to lay bricks to build a church, we build it in a way that's expressing the truth, a theological reality, something that we believe. We build churches either in the shape of an ark to tell us this church is the ark of Noah. We build a church in this place in the shape of a cross to show us that this church is where we receive salvation. We can build a church in the shape of uh, 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 a blessed bread, urbana. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. Okay, that's even in the building. The iconography, when we read the icons, we say the icons are written, they're not painted. They're written because they're telling us a story. They're telling us a theological teaching, a reality. Why is, Why is Christ always sitting on that side and Mary on, her, on his right hand? Because the queen sits at the right hand of the king. Whenever, it's very rare to find an icon where Christ is on the other side. That's very simple. The colors, everything. You see little stars on top of St. Mary's head and behind. Why? Because she's a virgin before, during and after the pregnancy. This is teaching us a reality. Why? Because a lot of people don't know how to read. And when we teach kids, some kids, they, they still don't know how to read well. So what's the best way? You put a nice icon like this. Look at the icon of the Resurrection. It tells us everything that happened in the story of the Resurrection. Was Christ this big physically and the, and the Mary is this small? No, we're not trying to paint a nice painting to show a nice proportions. No, we're actually we're trying to write a book with colors, okay? So the five sources of teaching of the truth, scripture, the liturgies, the church fathers and mothers, the councils and the arts. Last but not least, if I'm going on the path using self-control and using courage and using discernment, and I want to make sure I'm on the right path using the truth, being on the truthful path, the last thing is the life. And Saint Cyril told us, this is the hope in life. Imagine you're walking on a path and it's narrow and there's temptations and there's tribulations and you look to the end and you see the, as we say, the light at the end of the tunnel. What does St. Paul says in, today, in today's reading? He says, um, he made for us this living way, which we said earlier, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us. For us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We have hope. Why do we have hope? Because Christ is the resurrection and the life. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ has conquered death. Christ has given us life. Christ is the one who we now know has conquered and is going out to conquer. We're not fighting a battle. We're not walking on a path not knowing the end. We're not going on like some you know, Indiana Jones treasure hunt and we don't know if we're gonna find the treasure or not. Actually, it might be more difficult to tame the soul and the body than it was for Indiana Jones to fight enemies. But the difference is we know, we have full assurance of faith because Christ has already done it and He has paved the way. And if I am in Christ, He said today in the this morning, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, I can do all things. May God give us to walk on the way according to the truth, having hope in the life which is our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.